Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. I gotta say, I'm feeling really good about this message, but I will say I'm also very physically tired. Um, I ended up having to hold my three-year-old for most of the message. And so my back is kind of... Ooh, thanks for the pad, by the way. I'll take that. You can just have it the whole time. You can just have it the whole time. And then my six-year-old is not feeling so good, so he's going to kind of take a nap on the floor here and listen to me preach. And I'm, I'm sad that he's not feeling good, but I'm also excited that he gets to be here and see his father preach. Um, so if my humanity comes out a little bit, I, uh, I will not apologize for it. Um, that's what the point of this whole series is about. We're looking at the humanity of Jesus, and we've talked a lot about the five senses. And today, as we close out, we're going to talk about touch. Because Jesus spent so much of his ministry physically healing people by touching them, right? And if you think about it, touch is so powerful. How much, we, we, one of the most, it's one of the most fundamental aspects of our humanity. We experience the world so powerfully through touch, almost more so than any other of our senses. Touch can bring, can bring healing, it can bring pain, it can bring comfort, it can bring guidance, it can bring pleasure, it can bring you encouragement, comfort, you name it. And as far away as God seems to us, as far away as he can seem to us, he did not stay in some far off unattainable place and ask us to just figure out a way to heal ourselves and get to him. He put on human flesh and he came all the way here right? He showed up right here close enough to actually lay his hands on people and touch people. And he said, come with me. I've got something better for you. I can fix all of this. And you would think that a God like that showing up in the flesh would be universally welcomed with open arms, especially when he's handing out free gifts like salvation and eternal life. Like that's a pretty good, you know, I mean, I like a big paycheck, but man, salvation and eternal life, that's, that's, you can't get much better than that. But as we know, he experienced extreme controversy because he ran up against one of the other most fundamental aspects of human existence, and that is laws. Now, when I say, it's our favorite subject, right? Now, when I say laws, I'm referring to the Mosaic Law, which you can read in portions of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in my experience, we tend to read the law poorly because we only read about it we read it from the lens or from the context of church, and that's totally wrong. Okay, so I've been, I've been advocating for a series in Leviticus for a very long time, and this is sort of like the teaser trailer for that. If you like it, send a lot of feedback in, and then Heather will be forced to do it, and we'll do fifth, all, every, every verse, every chapter. It'll be amazing. It'll take us like three years to get through it. Um, so please, please, please help me out. Help me out. Kickstarter campaign, whatever it needs to be. And, but the thing is, the, the Mosaic Law wasn't just for church. 
it was actually less about church and mostly about like the civic law of their society. And the way things are going now, we could probably do a lot worse than bring back some of these laws. I mean, we should at least give it a shot, in my opinion. But um, depending on the translation of the Bible that you use, if you look for the word touch, you will find it 42 times in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, in the law. And all 42 of them, 100%, they're negative and prohibitive in context. Don't touch this. Don't touch that. Here's what happens if you touch that. If you touch the Ark of the Covenant, you will die. Okay? Every single one's negative. There were limitations to what you could touch. Even when, Maybe you could touch, th- touch things at certain times, but not at other times. How about there's laws about accidentally touching something versus touching something deliberately. And there was a bunch of laws about how to cleanse yourself, wash your clothes, wash your body, bathe, once you touched something and became unclean. And even some of the most human, fundamentally human things made people unclean. Things like food preparation. If you didn't do it right, you'd become unclean. If you were unclean and you touched the food, then the people that touched that or ate that food would also become unclean. And then it would just, right? The menstrual cycle in women, something that they were, as part of how they were created, something they could not control, made them unclean. Sex. A beautiful picture, something that God invented, God ordained, one of the most amazing acts of worship that exists that also enabled the creation of another soul, another image bearer of God. That made the husband and wife unclean, as glorious and God ordained as it was. And then let's go one step further. Childbirth. Is there anything more sacred Anything more beautiful than childbirth? Think about how much we're in that moment we're identifying with our creator who, create, who spoke and created the universe from nothing. And then when a husband and wife come together in the context of marriage and seemingly from nothing, life is created. Seemingly from nothing. Another soul, another image bearer is created. And that made the mother unclean for at least a month. So we bristle at that and we think, man, I'm so glad we live now. Like how oppressed those people were. But before we dismiss it and just skip back to the good part where Jesus gets rid of all that stuff, let's dig a little bit deeper and see what's really going on. Because when we talk about being unclean, it had nothing to do with health. The ancient Israelites and even the first century Jews, after thousands of years of advancement, did not understand germ theory at all, okay? This also had nothing to do with moral purity, and that's a common misconception in the church today, in the Western church, I've found. Because, again, a lot of people read the Bible very simply and say, well, before Jesus, there was a sacrificial system with the goats and the lambs and the cows, and then after Jesus, it was just Jesus. Wrong. Okay? Wrong. Not helpful. Think about it this way. Do you really think the blood of a lamb or a goat or a cow or even a trillion lambs and goats is equal to the blood of Jesus? One drop? It's not. So those, that tells you something. 
Even though there's no verse maybe that says exactly that, what I just said, it's all through the whole thing. These rituals and sacrifices did not save anyone from their sins. I don't care who taught, if anyone was taught that when you were growing up, I apologize. It's not in there, okay? The blood of the lambs and the goats and the cows didn't save anyone from any sin. Are we clear on that? Okay, faith has always been the standard for our salvation. Always, 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 always. In Genesis, I'll just give you one example. There's a bunch of them, but I'll give you one example. In Genesis 15, verse 6. Okay, in Genesis 15, God is affirming his covenant with Abraham. If you didn't know, Abraham was way before Moses. Way, way, way before. And in verse 6, it says something very powerful. It says, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, if I'm going to borrow some, like, New Testament language, if I had to guess, if I had to put money down on the table and say, what moment was Abraham going from unsaved to saved? Genesis 15, 6. He believed the Lord, and it was counted to him in that moment as righteousness. So faith, belief in the Lord, in what, even though Jesus hadn't showed up yet and, he, and Abraham never saw him die on the cross, faith was counted to him as righteousness. It's always been the standard for salvation. So what about the sacrifices then? What about this, who cares about the clean, unclean, don't touch this, don't touch that conversation? Well, in Leviticus chapter 15, it's an entire chapter, like every verse, don't touch this, don't touch that, don't touch this, don't touch that. And at the very end, God explains why. Leviticus 15, verse 31. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. Now that is an incredibly specific statement. If you show up to the tabernacle and you're unclean, you will die. Not metaphorically. Physically die. So, whoa, whoa, wait, hold on. What's going on there? We actually kind of sang about this already. Okay, what was, so, what was so important about the tabernacle? God's manifest presence was in there, in the holy place, the most holy place. And yes, the, the Israelites definitely believed in the omnipresence of God, but I think we also get the omnipresence of God kind of wrong in our heads. So let's just really quick make sure we understand that it does not mean when God is everywhere, doesn't mean that there's a, a percentage of him for you, Dad, and for you, Daryl, and for the people in Africa and on Mars. Sorry, there's no people on Mars. There's probably no people on Mars. You get what I'm saying. God in his, thank you, babe. There's God in his fullness, in his fullness. So one infinite percent of him is in all places, past, present, and future at the same time, all the time. Okay? That's really cool because you don't get, ever get a percentage of him. You get all of him. Okay? And that's why he can definitely handle whatever the heck you are going through. But so there's tension here. Like, oh, wait, he's every, all of him is everywhere all the time? 
But God cannot, and again, we can't figure this out, but God definitely can. So let's just let him worry about that and let's trust him that he chose to place his manifest presence inside the tabernacle. So that place was different. It was special. It was sacred space. The dirt, wherever they put the tent, they traveled all around the desert, wherever they put the tent and set it all up, that place, a cloud would descend. Moses would go in, a cloud would descend. That place was different. Even though, like we just defined omnipresence, that place was still different. So if you go to that place and you're unclean, you die. If you're clean, you could spend time with him. But we're not talking about moral purity. Okay? None of us are morally pure. Right? Even after the blood of Jesus. Right? You still sin. I'm talking about ritual purity. These laws, this sacrificial system, as cumbersome and outdated as it seems to us, was for the Israelites and should be for us today a very powerful teaching tool. And if you really wanted to boil the whole, if I was going to boil four books of stuff down into a few statements, it would be this. God is saying to us two things. Number one, I'm God and you're not. You can't be in my presence unless I accept you and embrace you. I don't know about that. What did Jesus say? No one comes to the Father except through me. The messaging hasn't changed. The sacrificial system did end. The message hasn't changed. Okay? Yes, we have free will, and yes, we must choose him. But the precondition for that choice is him choosing to accept us. It starts with him, and we are given the opportunity after that. Okay? We've got to get the order of operations correct here. Otherwise, we start, we start misrepresenting who God is, and we start misbelieving and so, start believing in some other kind of God that's not the one that's in here. So I'm God. You're not. You can't be in my presence unless I accept you and embrace you. And these rituals are, number two, these rituals are required so that when you approach me, you actually understand who it is that you're approaching and so that I might embrace you. Because we want to be embraced by him, do we not? You can't approach me and embrace me in a casual manner. And I know what some of you are thinking, man, if I was there, I saw the pillar of fire during the night and the pillar of cloud leading us through the desert during the day, the Red Sea parting. Every time Moses goes out to the tent, the cloud descends and Moses sees God face to face and speaks to him as a man speaks to a friend. Man, I would never be cash about the Lord again. Yeah, you would. You see that every day for one month, you would get used to it. It'd be normal for you. Just like it became normal for the Israelites. So what that tells us is that signs and wonders alone cannot sustain your faith. They never will. And we receive every single one. We receive all the healing. We've seen so much healing in this church. We've seen so many healings around the world. I know missionary friends of my family that have seen people raised from the dead. Uh, like, like, Listen, it happens all over the place. It always happened for all of human history. And we accept it. We receive all of it. And I hope I see every single type of miracle with my own eyes from this day forward. It cannot sustain your faith. It can't. And God in his love and grace knew that. And so he's like, you're going to do these things so that you remember who I am and whose you are. 
You're a people, my people, set apart just for me. You are not like the nations around you. And isn't that also true of us? Grafted into the family of God, grafted into the kingdom, we are, as, as his children, we also are different people set apart for a special purpose to live different lives, not like the people around us. The messaging hasn't changed. It's been the same the entire time. But the lines between ritual and moral purity got really blurry by the time Jesus showed up. Because that law had been the church law and the civic law in Israelite society for 4,000 years. So when he started challenging some of these traditions, the Pharisees are like, oh, you know, they start freaking out. And it's really easy for us to be like, oh, come on, man. Come on, Pharisees. On the other hand, have you ever tried to break a 4,000-year-old habit? I can understand the difficulty they had. I can. On top of that, they had a religious spirit that entrenched itself over that 4,000 years. So there was a spiritual realm attack going on. There was a stronghold there. It wasn't just like a demon trying to get in. There was already a stronghold there. 4,000 years of habits trying to break. I can understand the difficulty they had. Because Jesus claimed, this is so important, guys. Jesus claimed to be God. And that was blasphemous enough for them. But on top of that, he started embracing and physically touching people that were ritually unclean. And God wouldn't do that if you only read the law. Because if you were unclean, you can't go into God's presence. He kills you. So this was the main reason, I believe, the main reason why the Pharisees are like, he can't possibly be God. He's touching people that are unclean. God doesn't do that. Unless you read the rest of the Old Testament. And that's where that religious spirit came in, because the religious spirit got the Pharisees to focus only on Leviticus 15. We'll resolve all this by the end, I promise. So, but before we do that, I want to look at a few examples where Jesus physically touched people and healed some people and how that bumped up against specific laws, okay? So the first one I want to talk about is when Jesus healed a leper in Matthew chapter 8. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8. Verse 1, it says, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and says, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I love how it says cleansed instead of healed there. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, But go, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to them. So what law was this bumping up against? Because Jesus just said, hey, go go do the thing that Moses told you to do. Well, in Leviticus 14, there are 50, the whole chapter, 57 verses, all about how to cleanse yourself from leprosy once you've been healed. So... Let me just, it won't be on the screen. I'm just going to read a portion of this because I want you to get it. Listen very carefully how much Jesus was asking this man to do. 
Leviticus 14, starting in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then if the case of leprous diseases is healed in the person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live, clean birds, and cedar wood, and scarlet yarn, and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an, earthenware, in, in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all of his hair and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. And after that, he may come into the camp. Yes! Oh, wait, no. But live outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day, he shall shave off all of his hair again from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. And I didn't put that in there. It's actually in there. He looked like a freak. He shall shave off all of his hair, and then he shall wash his clothes again and bathe his body in water again, and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish and one ewe lamb, a year old without blemish, and a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil and one log of oil. And that's the first ten verses. There's 23 more verses to go of cleansing the person. And then verse 33 to 57 is how to cleanse the house. So Jesus healed this guy, and he said, go do Leviticus 14. It would have taken weeks. And you better believe that guy was smiling and dancing all, all the way through those 57 verses. You know why? Because he felt human again. It's a very small price to pay for an outcast with zero hope. And God himself showed up and accepted him into his presence despite his uncleanness. Right? Jesus didn't show up to light the law on fire. He showed up to fulfill it perfectly so that he could be the perfect sacrifice and die the perfect death to pay the debt for all sin for all time and defeat death forever and he's not going to undermine that mission by deliberately breaking the law or ask someone else to break the law too so i'm going to heal you now go do leviticus 14 like moses commanded because i'm going to fulfill the law let's go to the blind man Ooh, this is good mark chapter 8 and they came to bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. That's super powerful right there. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village like an outcast. Listen very carefully, guys. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Probably the most confusing miracle that Jesus ever did. Now, this wasn't necessarily connected to one specific law, but there are a bunch of instances in the Old Testament where spitting on somebody was an act of extreme contempt. 
the person that was spit on, that is, that's probably the most shameful thing that could ever happen to them in Israelite society. Really, and, and even in kind of Near Eastern, Middle Eastern society. One of the most offensive things that could ever happen to somebody. So this was really the only lens that any witnesses would have had. They would have been totally shocked. You think the blind man cared about shame? It's a small price to pay to feel human again. But, but why? Why would Jesus shame this man? And his friends, he had these people brought him and they begged Jesus to touch him and they weren't looking for a miracle. They just loved their friend. And they would have been ashamed. They would have been offended by this probably. So why would he do it? Well, just as Jesus shamed this man by spitting on him, so too would Jesus be spit on, led out of the village, led out of the city, ashamed, rejected, on his way to his death to heal everybody from sin. He was foreshadowing his death. And then we have this really puzzling development with a partial healing. And I don't think anyone in here is like, gosh, Jesus didn't quite have it that day. What's, you know, the fastball was, didn't quite have it. He failed somehow. Of course not, right? So why would he do that? He did it on purpose. He was foreshadowing what was about to happen. Because we're not going to read it, but I'm just going to summarize it for you. The very next passage, he heals the blind man, and then they're walking along, and Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter shouts, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, and it's this amazing moment, and Peter's eyes are opened, and he sees Jesus for who he really was. And we're like, oh, man, the first like, documented, like somebody sees Jesus as God, as the Messiah, Right here. Yay, Peter. And in the very next passage, Jesus tells the disciples for the first time, hey, the Son of Man is going to suffer. He's going to be rejected. I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again in three days. And what does Peter do? He takes him aside and rebukes him. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You've got your eyes set on the things of people, not on the things of heaven. You see, just like the blind man, Peter saw Jesus for who he was, but it was blurry. In that moment when Jesus revealed himself to Peter and Peter declared the truth, he saw him, but it was still kind of blurry. And Peter's spiritual sight would not be restored until after Jesus died and rose again. It was only after that that Peter stepped forward on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 and said, hey. And the church is born. And here's the other cool thing about this. People brought this man to Jesus. You see, sometimes you need the faith of others to get your faith to the finish line. In fact, I find this happens all the time. And we see this on a massive scale two chapters earlier in Mark 6, 53 through 56. 
or 54 through 56, that's, I'll read that part. And, and when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever he heard, that they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Where do you think the woman with the issue of blood got the idea? Guys, this right here is what a family of faith looks like. What we just did during worship with as people raising their hands and everyone praying over each other, that's what a family of faith looks like. And that's been happening for a very, very long time. We did not invent that. And this is why we pray for people as a group and as a church and, and, and have many people lay hands on people and anoint people with oil and pray. It was normal back then, and it should be normal now, which is why we did it back then. We're actually going to get another opportunity at the end to do it again. So if you missed your chance, don't worry about it. Jesus is still here. Okay, the Spirit can still heal you. And I think it's so cool. I think it's so cool how my wife actually gave me this word. And I need to share it with you. I think it's so cool how Jesus came and he had compassion on people that were lacking one of their senses. He healed so many blind people. So many deaf people, many lepers. And leprosy was a neurological disease, and most people that suffered with it had little to no sense of touch. And he would heal those people and restore them to the fullness of their human experience again. They felt human again. Which brings us to the last example, the woman with the issue of blood. And I'm so glad that Heidi told the story for you so that I don't have to and I can spend more time doing other stuff in this message. So what, what law was this bumping up against? Leviticus 15, 26 through 30. It'll be up on the screen, but I'm going to kind of summarize it. So again, what we're talking about is... Um, you know, this woman suffered with an irregular monthly cycle, for lack of a better explanation. But what was the big deal? Well, in Leviticus 15, it says, Every bed on which she lies shall be unclean. Everything she sits on will be unclean. Anyone who touches the things that she touches will be unclean. And that person will have to wash their clothes and bathe themselves. And they'll be unclean until the evening of that day. But if she's cleansed of the bleeding, she must count for herself seven days. So seven consecutive days of no bleeding. And after that, she'll be clean. And on the eighth day, she'll take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting and offer them as a sacrifice. And then she will be clean. So this woman didn't necessarily have to be bleeding 24-7. In fact, I don't think she was. If she was bleeding 24-7, and listen, I'm sorry, this is kind of a mansplaining thing. Uh, I, I, I've been around some women that struggle with this and they become quickly very anemic very weak if this woman was bleeding 24-7 she probably couldn't for 12 years probably couldn't move 
So I don't, I don't think she was bleeding 24-7. Also, she would have never got really, she would have stopped going to doctors after about the second one. Because if you're bleeding 24-7, you go to a doctor and there is, it doesn't stop, then you're like, all right, well, I guess I just, I just bleed now. You, would, you, would have, you wouldn't have wasted the money, okay? What happened most likely was she would bleed and then it would stop. And the clock would start, seven days, one, two, three. And then it would start again. And she'd have to wait and go to another doctor. And then it would stop. And then the clock starts again. And this roller coaster for 12 years, that's way worse than just bleeding 24-7. How many times did she get to day six? And she goes to the market and buys the turtle doves. And then she wakes up on day seven and she's bleeding again. How many turtle doves has she purchased over the years? She was perpetually unclean, meaning she had very limited interaction with society. Anyone that touched her, Anything that she touched, that other people touched, they'd be unclean. So this extreme inconvenience probably meant she had, if she was married, little to no intimacy with her husband. And it, I mean, I just would have become a laundry expert at that point. We'll, we'll figure it out. But if she had children or grandchildren, probably wasn't hugging them, probably wasn't playing with them. There's... There's mom's hearts in this room are breaking right now. Dad's, your heart should be breaking too. Some of you, some of you women love, you're so gifted in this. You love making huge meals for big groups of people. Some of you bake for a living. This woman couldn't do that. Because anyone who touched or ate her food would be unclean too. And here's the worst part. She couldn't go to the temple. That's where the Father's presence was. She couldn't go for 12 years because she was ritually unclean. And then one day, the father sends his son to her town. And I can picture the father saying to himself, don't worry, my daughter, I've seen you. I've always seen you. And I know exactly what's going on because I created you. And I know you have felt very far away from me for 12 years. But don't worry, because today I'm sending my son to you today. And you will be closer to me than you have ever been. Than anyone's ever been. Because for the first time, you're going to get a chance to just to actually touch him, to hug him. And God doesn't do stuff like that. If you only read Leviticus. And it's going to be way better than going to the temple. 
And then because of her great faith, she deliberately reaches out and touches Jesus and grabs onto that healing first. But this was a huge risk, huge risk, because, and that's why she initially tried to hide it. Because if the people would have found out what had happened, the worldly perspective reaction would have been very severe. How dare you? You are unclean. How dare you touch this respected teacher and make him unclean? Only problem was you can't make Jesus unclean. Jesus was the only one. He didn't break the law. He, was just, he, he could not be made ritually unclean because he was holy and perfect. He was God. Even the human aspect of him could not be made unclean. And once she is identified, we get to the best part of that passage, Luke chapter 8, verse 48. Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. He calls her daughter. And we aren't sure if the, the woman is older or younger than Jesus, but it doesn't really matter because in that culture, that was a term of extreme endearment that could be used for someone older or younger than you. Extreme endearment. So it would be kind of weird if I said that to any woman in here, but just so you know, the list of women that I feel close enough to to use a term like this is very, very small. This was not a normal thing for someone to say. And Jesus, speaking on behalf of himself and on behalf of the father who was seeing his daughter earlier, You felt so far away from me for 12 years, but your great faith is rewarded with healing and eternal life. That's what Jesus said when he said your faith has made you well. Healing and eternal life. Your faith has made you physically and spiritually well. Your lack of ritual purity does not keep you from my kingdom. It does not keep you from my presence any longer. And I could have healed you any number of a trillion infinite ways. But I chose to come all the way to you today. And I stood next to you. And I embraced you. And I called you my daughter. I brought you close to me. Yes, the woman chose to go find him. And yes, she chose to reach out and touch his garment. But Jesus the Father sent the Son there today to embrace that woman. It starts from Him. And guys, this was always the plan. For us to be close to Him. For Him to be standing right here with us. This is not a New Testament only thing. This is not Jesus' idea. Because in Genesis 3, we discover that it was a normal thing for Adam and Eve to walk with God's manifest presence in the garden. They weren't like, oh, cool, like God's all around us and in the trees and in the... No, a physical representation of God's presence was walking next to them in the garden. Was it Jesus himself? I, I, I don't know. Maybe it was just a cloud. Could have been anything. But a physical representation of God's presence was walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. And what happened in Genesis 3? They sinned and they hid. They ran from his presence. And he is walking through the garden. Adam and Eve, where are you? I'm here. Why did you run from me? 
It's time to walk with your father today. When Moses went up Mount Sinai to get a new set of tablets for the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 34, verse 5, it says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and declared, proclaimed the name of the Lord. Again, a physical representation of his manifest presence was there standing with Moses. And then remember a few weeks ago when Ryan took us to 1 Samuel 3 and was talking about hearing the voice of God? I want to revisit that passage because I saw something for the first time last, that, that weekend and it just blew me away. So 1 Samuel 3, verse 4 says, Then the Lord called Samuel. And then verse 6, And the Lord called, called again. And in verse 8, And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. And then in verse 10, something dramatically changes. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times. The rescue plan had been repeated over and over and over again, all throughout the Old Testament. This is what I mean when I say, if you only read Leviticus 15, you're going to have a problem with Jesus claiming to be God, but touching people that were ceremonially unclean. But he came and stood next to all kinds of unclean people, even in the Old Testament. Yeah. This is the gospel. This is the point. And so right now, we're going to have an opportunity to come forward and receive healing. It could be depression. It could be physical pain. And honestly, like, I'll be one of the first ones down here. My issue is not that big of a deal. For the last couple of months, my left shoulder has been hurting, and I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm picking up a giant child all the time. <laughs> I don't know. But I've been picking up a giant child for a long time, and it's only recently started hurting. It's not bad. Um, but I don't think, and I have an appointment tomorrow to try to start to figure it out. Um, and I've up to this point, I've just kind of said, yeah, it's, it kind of comes and goes. It's not that big of a deal. I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to bother God with it or bother anybody else with it, except for my wife. So, I, so I, I'm, I'm going to come forward and receive healing for my shoulder. And the cool thing is, I know that God heals shoulders in this church specifically. It's happened before. And my issue is not that big of a deal. You might have a much bigger issue from a worldly perspective, but just come forward. And, and, and maybe, friend, if you're here and you, and you know that someone is here that needs help coming forward, you can help them. Maybe you're sitting on the other side of the room and you see them come forward. You come forward and pray over them too. And listen, there's no, the, the band's gonna come forward here and, and we're gonna play, pray, play for a little bit and people are gonna pray and be anointed with oil and receive healing and stuff. And, and there's, there's no extra points with God for coming forward. There's no extra points with us for coming forward. You're not more, more holy, more righteous, okay? But I promise it won't hurt you. It just might be the best decision you've ever made. And I'm not trying to guilt anybody. Really, I'm not. What's the worst that could happen? You have an encounter with Jesus? Jesus? 
Maybe he heals you in this instant. Maybe he doesn't. But we're going to come forward in faith. We're going to step forward in faith and be in the presence of God. And he's going to come and he's going to stand near you. Okay? And if the front gets filled up, use the aisles. Do it in the seats. It's fine. There's no reason anyone should get missed. So Jesus, we come before you right now. We're so thankful that you chose to make a way where there was previously no way to get back into your presence, to have a relationship with you. We thank you that from the day one, your goal, your mission was to stand near us, to embrace us, to walk with us all the days of our lives. We were the ones that ran from you. And so you spent thousands of years trying to teach us, remind us who you were and whose we are supposed to be, the people we are supposed to be. We're thankful that you created us so you know exactly how our bodies work. We know, you know exactly how our minds work, our emotions work. And you can heal any situation in this room. You can bring people back from the dead. You can cast cancer out of somebody's body in a heartbeat. You can even heal a shoulder that's just a little bit painful. Someone with suicidal thoughts can be rid of them in an instant if you will. So God, this group of people right here is calling out to you just like the leper and saying, if you will, I, I know, I know you can heal me. So your children are here where they're supposed to be. Because you were already here standing, waiting to embrace each one of them. The fullness of you embracing each one of them. Not a percentage for Rochelle, not a percentage of Ada, not a percentage for Alex, not a percentage for Jenny, not a percentage for anyone. All of you focused on every single one. Thank you for coming and standing near us today. Are ready for your manifest presence to show up in this place. We declare it right now as a family that your manifest presence would be in this room and that there would be healings from sickness, all kinds of sickness, physical, spiritual, emotional, that there would be physical healings in this room, that things would start to change today. We're ready for you to do that. We agree that you can and that you will. We know you will in Jesus' name.